Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by the Association of Compliance Officers in Ireland. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. Hello and welcome to the Compliance Files podcast of the Association of Compliance Officers in Ireland. I'm Cathy Jacobs, President of the SUI, and it is a great pleasure for me to host this podcast. The General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, introduced certifications along with seals and marks as acceptable mechanisms for demonstrating compliance of processing operations by data controllers and processors. Recycle 100 of GDPR sets out the purpose of these certifications as allowing data subjects to quickly assess the level of data protection of relevant products and services. The first data protection certification approved under GDPR Articles 42 and 43 is expected to be approved this summer with EuroPrivacy being the certifying body. This was an innovation with the introduction of GDPR, and like everyone working in the field at the time and since then, I have been unsure as to how these would work in practice. So I'm delighted to welcome to today's Compliance Files podcast as our guest, Liam McKenna, partner in Mazars, an international audit, tax and advisory firm with over 42,000 staff worldwide. Liam has been working in the field of information security for more than 20 years and in the field of data protection since 2006. He leads Mazars in Ireland's data protection advisory services, acting as an outsourced DPO for a number of organisations. Liam is coordinating Mazars' global preparation for the rollout of GDPR certification services through EuroPrivacy. Liam is here to discuss with me today the operation of a certification regime under GDPR and to discuss the benefits, opportunities and obligations for data controllers, among other things. Welcome, Liam, to the Compliance Files podcast today and and thanks for talking to us. Well, thanks very much, Cathy, for having me along. I've actually, I've been following it and uh, they're great podcasts, so I'm delighted to be part of it. Great, I'm glad you find them useful. So, on to the matter in hand, certifications. Liam, could you give our listeners and members some more detail on what is a certification and how they're meant to work in practice? Yeah, so, you know, as you've mentioned, the GDPR introduced this idea and encouraged the concept of certification, but we haven't actually seen very much of it yet, the zero privacy scheme being the first one expected. The certification is, the concept behind it is to provide some independent assurance that the organization has compliant processes with the GDPR. And it is process-based, which is interesting, right? Because, you know, I've been talking to clients about this certification now for a year, because actually it was delayed a little bit, which we can get onto later. But there is a, there isn't going to be a, an organization compliant. It's a process compliant. And that does raise questions about then how many processes need to be certified before you can start to claim overall certification, et cetera, which I think is an interesting point. But generally, the certification will say something like a client onboarding process, claims process, any of these end-to-end processes will be certified. Now, there is a certifying authority, and you have to actually submit your target of evaluation to that certifying authority at the beginning. So they will look at it and say, if you were just trying to certify a very small step in a much macro process in order to claim certification, it wouldn't it wouldn't be acceptable. So you you know, you have to submit your target of evaluation, then you go through a process of assessing the gap with where you are now and what you need to do in order to be fully certified and, and ultimately get through a, an initial audit with a summary report, expected some findings, and then on to corrective actions and certification. So, you know, when I look at it, I suppose a lot of the clients ask me if we're kind of compliant already, or we believe we're compliant already, how 
how much of an extra lift is it to become certified? And really, it's about the documentation of it. You know, if, if you are compliant at the moment, you probably just have to document some more evidence around the compliance than you would, would have in place in order to meet your, your principle of accountability generally. And so that's really where the work is for a compliant organization. Obviously, if you're non-compliant, you have some fundamentals to do and, and uh, to address first. Okay, Liam. So an organization isn't itself certified. It's actually processes which are subject to DPIAs and yeah. records of processing under, under other articles in GDPR. Can they be leveraged by data controllers in, in seeking their certification? Yeah, you know, they would be part of the control. If I give you maybe a sense of the scale of what what the environment or what the scheme would look like. At the moment, the scheme is described in a 200-page document, which I don't think that's public, actually. It's for uh, consultants like ourselves and and the European Data Protection Board and others. But there are 200 specific controls in that thereabouts. And of that, maybe 100 of them are mandatory. And so the first time you certify one process, you might be talking about 90 to 100 controls that would be tested. And in that, it would include things like, are, are your records, you know, documented? Do you have a record of processing? If it is associated with high-risk processing, is there a data protection impact assessment? So, you know, what we have is we have these 100 core controls. Then we have another 100 controls, which actually are specific to particular domains. Is it cloud? Is it public sector? Is it AI, right? So there are, there are a set of additional 100 controls of which a sample of them are going to be relevant or may be relevant in a particular instance. And then as you get into second and third and fourth processes, you'll find that you only need to do maybe 50 or 60 controls because, you know, the initial ones would include things like, is your data protection officer qualified? And that's going to be a common control that then if you do a second process, you won't need to get into it. So from a scale perspective, and, and coming back to your question, you, you are looking at it and going, well, you know, fundamentally, it's about are we compliant with the GDPR and so if it's high risk processing you would absolutely need a DPA and therefore that DPA would feed into the evidence which you would leverage in order to confirm your, your compliance. I, and sorry, it's not, it's not really actually the, the terms that you use isn't compliance, it's conformity with the scheme. Okay. Right? So, okay. so you're actually certified as being conformant with the scheme okay. and the scheme has gone through a process which we can get into which is sufficient to say the European Data Protection Board approve it. Right. Well, that's a new concept for our members and listeners to get used to then, conformity with the scheme. I must remember that one. So do other jurisdictions outside the European Union perhaps operate them and or maybe even inside the European Union? And how successful are they? Yeah, so I I think... There's very limited data protection schemes that I'm aware of. I know, for example, in Switzerland, processors working for health insurance companies must certify uh, compliance with Swiss regulation on data protection. From a GDPR and a data protection perspective, generally, though, I don't think so. What we see, what we see clients doing, I suppose, twofold. One is there's the SOC 2 process, ISAE 3402. And that's not an area, actually, that I work in myself, but I think I have it right there. And so there are domains in that, and there's a privacy domain in that. So we have seen some organizations start to try and achieve the same result through a SOC 2 process. And then there's also the ISO 27701, which is a a, a data protection um, ISO standard. But we've seen international organizations use that. I don't think it is... It requires a little bit of finessing in order to be compliant with GDPR. So, for example, it talks about personal identifiable information, PII, which is really an Americanization. And, and data for GDPR is much broader than PII. And, you know, and it inputs rules around, for example, needing consent for marketing, whereas we would use legitimate interest. So I think what we have is organizations recognize that they want to be able to give assurance 
that they are conforming or compliant with the GDPR and data protection. Internationally, I, I don't see a lot going on. We've mentioned the Swiss one there, but they're trying to do it through other ways in Europe. And probably they're all a bit clunky. And look, ultimately, the GDPR in 40, Article 42 and 43 specifically sets out, if you're going to be certifying with GDPR, it needs to go through Articles 42 and 43 and all everything that's surrounded around that and the whole European Data Protection Board. So all of these other things are not quite the same and not quite as good in my view. Okay, so it's something of an innovation then. Yes. What is the particular certification that you've been involved in? And can you describe the process for developing it? Yeah, and look, you know, I've been involved with it probably for two years. Um, when I got involved at the start, I thought it was maybe a year away. But being the first certification, it's gone through a fairly arduous process. And it isn't, it isn't a Mazar certification, it's a, the European Centre for Certification and Privacy in Luxembourg. So ultimately, this started with Horizon 2020, the European Research Programme, funding the development of this certification for the European Centre for Certification and Privacy in Luxembourg. And the way, if you read the GDPR and you read the European Data Protection Board guidance on this process, the Luxembourgish authority is supposed to submit the scheme once it's reviewed it into the European Data Protection Board for approval. But actually, and I'm not sure if this is how it will continue to be in the future, because it's not exactly how it's written, but how it's ha- reality how it's happened is that every supervisor in Europe has had access to the scheme and has reviewed it and has provided feedback. And as they've done that, they've started to think about other things and how the schemes will be managed, implemented, quality controlled, all of these things. And so as the, the first certification example, it's gone through a much a much more rigorous assessment than maybe you might have anticipated in that all of this engagement happened before the Luxembourgish authority submitted it for approval to your, the European Data Protection Board. So actually that submission becomes a really a formality because every supervisory authority has already had significant discussion about this, provided feedback, and the scheme has been updated to reflect that feedback. So, you know, there's quite a lot involved with that. Once the scheme is up and running, what we'll have is we'll have the European Centre for uh, Certification will own the scheme. The Luxembourgish authority will have approved the scheme and the European Data Protection Board adopted it. And then you'll have certifying bodies or auditors who you know, will, will come in and test you against the scheme and, and basically give you the stamp on behalf of the European Centre for Certification and Privacy. And then consultants like ourselves, we've, we've got about 50 people trained on this and it's to help organisations get up to speed quickly and prepare for the audits is, is where we're focused. So there's a lot there, Cathy. I'm not sure, you know, for anybody listening to it, if they were interested, they'd probably have to go back a bit and listen to it again. But I think my main message would be the European Centre for Certification has really ploughed a furrow for others to follow. And my expectation is is if there are other certifications, they will probably go through faster. And this one is yet to be finalised, as you said, we're hoping at the end of the summer or thereabouts. Okay. So how will it work in practice and how will our listeners kind of interact with it and see see it come to life? Yeah, so, and, and maybe I, so I might have covered a little bit earlier on in this, and I've been having conversations with organizations that are interested in this, and so the first thing they want to decide is, what are, processes are they going to certify? And, you know, the sorts of conversations I'm having with organizations, because a lot of them are in financial services, and they're very compliance oriented and focused, and they want to do the right thing, you know, and then their cultures do the right thing. So organizations want to say, well, we want to ensure that we're being honest and clear in what's certified, and it has to be something substantial. So going through that, that, that work of identifying your macro level processes, deciding where certification is really could be very valuable based on maybe the level of risk that is associated with it, 
or the dependence the organization has on it. And then choosing to do maybe one or two processes at the beginning. And then once you get into that and, and probably pilot one or two processes, the expectation is you're back into, you know, that piece around defining your target of evaluation, submitting that. And, you know, our hope is that they will, these organizations will say, well, you know, we need some consultants because you guys know the ins and outs of this and you can help us document those extra bits quickly, then get audited and and be approved. And, and you'll at that point be able to put the seal onto your website and say they're doing certain, you know, meeting the certification conformity. Okay. And just so I understand, Liam, I think, don't know if you mentioned levels of certification there. Are there levels or, or do you just get your get your stamp? And No, it, 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 the expectation is that you are conforming with the scheme for the process. And in order to pass the audit, you'll have done so. Now, you know, there might be some minor observations that would not be a barrier to achieving the certification, but would still be kind of recommendations. But generally, you're either conformant or you're not. Like the European Data Protection Board wants there to be clarity that if you're saying you're certified to a scheme or conform with the scheme that it has approved, there is no doubt around that. That is clear. And, and everybody knows what it means. And data subjects, consumers, boards, they can have confidence in what that means. They're not trying to interpret it. Liam, how exactly is it going to work? Are there going to be education regimes in every country or will, there, will they be pan-EU or pan-EEA? How, how does that work? Yeah, so given that it's approved at the European Data Protection Board level and recognising the one-stop shop mechanism, while there's one supervisor who would submit it for approval, it can be used in any country. And in fact, a lot of the interest we've seen is also with American organisations, because since the SHREMS 2 decision, there's obviously more challenges around data exports to the US and imports into the US. And this is one of the mechanisms that's, that's mentioned in Article 46 around easing the data transfer. So, no, it makes sense that, that the schemes can be used not just within Europe, but globally, and that every EEA country would be able to rely on it. How many there are, I'm not sure. Like, as I said, this one was originally funded by the Horizon 2020 European Research Programme. So EU put money into it. It's taken a long time to get this far. I would think the barriers to entry based on all of that discussion around every supervisory authority having a discussion about it are quite high. So I'm not sure, like maybe we might see another two or three, but I wouldn't expect to see a large number of certifications, certainly in the next three or four years. If I were a DPO sitting in, a, in an Irish regulated mm. firm, how would I go about approaching a certification? Like even from choosing, you know, which, which of my processes would be good to start with? How would I tackle if I thought, you know, a certification would be a good idea? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is, and, and as I said, I've kind of had chats to people about this, and I think generally DPOs are very positive about it. So they start off and they go, we like this, right? And the, one of the reasons they tell me they like it is because they go to boards and they go to senior executives and they're asked, are we compliant with GDPR? And their answer is, well, you know, we're accountable, but we have risk and it's you know, the, the message isn't, yes, tick box, green tick, we're compliant, right? Which is what people who maybe don't, aren't invested in GDPR and don't really spend a lot of time in it think we should be able to do. And, and it's, it's a risk-based regulation, obviously. So I think from a DPO perspective, it's a much more powerful message to go to senior management on board, go, look, while we have risk, we are conforming to the European Data Protection Board approved scheme. And they like that. The flip side is when I have spoken to DPOs, they need to get buy-in from business owners because if you have a particular operational area or a, a business manager who owns a process, they need to buy into this and be willing to accept it and want to approve it. So 
where if I was saying to DPOs what needs to happen, I think you want to identify the processes that are significant, probably where there are new processes, I found it's easier. So for example, I was talking to a bank that was recompleting or running a project to change its client onboarding process, digitize it further. And they were going, this is actually a good time for us to consider this because as we launch this new process, it would be nice to have the certification. So, you know, it's a, it's a meaty process it's using a lot of personal data. It touches a lot of data subjects. It's new. And so we aren't going to have a load of legacy issues. We can do it properly. So all those things help recognizing that it's probably not going to be led by the DPO, I think. I think the DPOs will have to be champions for this from the conversations I'm having. But ultimately, it's the business owners that are going to say, fair enough, I'm going to commit to this. And they'll, you know, there might be there's some cost associated with this. And so who's going to take that? So I think there's probably a fair bit of preparation. Like, obviously, one of the things we want to do is evaluations and to identify, look across, here are your macro processes, which would be the ones that might score the highest for certification opportunities. Thanks for that, Liam. And I'm just thinking maybe also processes that have a high profile with that subjects, you know, where there's high yeah. interaction with customers like sales processes or AML processes. Where, yes, you know, there's, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's an element of friction even sometimes with customers and with general public and, and they don't understand it. And actually, yeah. Kathy, one of the things like I'm sure we're all familiar with the complainant who is a bit like a dog with a bone and has decided that you're abusing their rights and you're not affording them the correct rights and, yes. and they just don't stop. And it would be nice to be able to turn around to those people and say, well, actually, you know, we're certified as conforming with GDPR scheme here. So, you know, yes, yes. go ahead yes. because they be just powerful. don't. Yeah, yes. hopefully that might stop some of those conversations. Although in fairness, many of yes. these people have lots of things going on in their head, which I don't yes. think is all factual. Yes, and, and, we, and we all want to stop complaints. We want to, you know, conform, but also obviate complaints. What do you anticipate will be the challenges in achieving and then maintaining certification? And can they be revoked? Like, can you just have it withdrawn, taken off you? And if so, in what circumstances? Yeah, so the scheme, you will initially be certified for a three-year process. So the process will be certified for a three-year term. And there are kind of briefer audits in years two and three. So, you know, the substantial audit is done in the first year, you get your certification, you get three years on it. There'll be some briefer work done in years two and three just to confirm that it's still there. There are possibilities of having it removed, which really are around, and I suppose the detail of this isn't very clear to me yet, but if it is evident through supervisory review, you know, the complaints that come through the supervisor are the level of breaches or, you know, findings that you're actually not compliant with, with the scheme or conform with the scheme, well, then there is the option to have it revoked. So it would be the European Centre for Certification and Privacy that would revoke it. They have, the, the way the book is written at the moment, the manual, it's not like there's a checklist, as in if these five things, one of these five things occur, it'll be revoked. But it is a case of if it becomes evident that the process is not conforming to the scheme through supervisory action, complaints, whatever, that come to light, that it could be revoked. What do you anticipate would be the challenges in achieving certification? You know, it's not supposed to be an enormous stretch to become certified for an organization that is compliant. You know, there is additional documentation required. And so that documentation needs to be maintained. But there are no surprises. I, I suppose something like legitimate interest, right? So most organizations would use legitimate interest if they're not public sector. And I would imagine that there isn't a huge amount of legitimate interest assessments being completed by all organizations, right? So maybe having things like the formality around written down your legitimate interest 
interest. That's something that would need to be available. Not saying it has to be legitimate interest assessment. It could be briefer than that where it's a lower risk. But it's probably that extra effort in documenting it a bit more formally and then maintaining that documentation. With regard to the challenge, though, I don't know that it should be an enormous challenge for an organization if it if it understands its GDPR obligations and if it's compliant with them. You know, look, you're going to have auditors that always find something, right? So, you know, maybe when they first come in, there will be the expectation is that there will be a summary report and the summary report will outline some corrective action needed and then you would get on with it. But I would be hopeful that that isn't a huge overhead on organizations. And again, back to the DPIAs and records of processing, yeah. if, if you've got that base documentation, you've got you've got something to work from. Absolutely. Um, what about international data transfers? Do certifications play a part in facilitating these? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, under Article 46, the presence of a certification is, is one of the kind of areas that you can provide confidence in your transfers out. You know, with the new standard contractual clauses, we do have this requirement for a data transfer impact assessment which will be necessary in order to sign the standard contractual clause. And I think if an organization, those data transfer impact assessments look at both the essential guarantees in the country and the laws and also the controls within the environment and the the company. So I, I could see a certification scheme really speeding that process up. And given that it's referenced specifically in Article 46, you know, it should be beneficial. And, and I suppose that's why we're seeing a lot in the States, a lot of our, a lot of our clients of Mazars in the state who are aware of this and who we're communicating it to, who, who are doing processing with European counterparties, they are thinking this could be quite interesting because they do feel quite vulnerable over there with the removal of privacy shields and, and probably still, it hasn't all fully vetted out yet as to where we're going to land with these data transfers. Liam, if I am a, maybe a new DPO or, as you said, uh, I've got a new process, how do I go into my board and sell the benefits of certification because inevitably there will be some cost involved yeah. in this. So yeah. how would you advise me to go in and, and sell it to, to my board? Yeah, well, I would think a lot of your members, Kathy, trust is a huge part of what they want. You know, they, they want their customers to trust them, clients to trust them. And it, it really is part of their core beliefs now. And I think that's a really powerful one. When I've spoken to organization which is its branding might be a little bit informal and a little bit casual, but it, it takes compliance extremely seriously. And so for them, they're saying this is a way of communicating that you can trust us, even though we might be a bit casual and a bit offhand in our in our branding, right? So providing that trust, this is a great way of providing trust. I think the board will see that. And I think also boards are very uncomfortable with data protection risk, even though we haven't seen an enormous amount of fines and we haven't seen an enormous amount of civil actions actually reach court. And in fairness, we've, I don't, I'm not aware of any judgments really in Ireland that have been published. That hasn't undermined that it's, it's been taken more and more seriously over the last three years since May uh, 2018. I think boards are very concerned about data protection. And I think this is something, if you can go in and say, we've identified the highest impact processes in our organization from a data protection perspective, and we could certify that these are conformant to the GDPR scheme. And that would enable us to explain that to our customers and, and build trust. If we do get unlucky and there is a breach or there is an issue, it will actually mitigate the, the consequence of that because the supervisor will have to take into account that we've been certified and that maybe we've been unlucky rather than systemically not paying attention. And, and obviously there is the piece around the cross-border transfers and, and potentially even developing competitive advantage in certain segments where if you're an early adopter. So I think there's quite a lot in it for the boards. 
Yeah, I think I think there's a lot to leverage there. So when can our listeners expect to see when this certification will be formally launched? So and as I said, it's probably it's taken a little bit longer than I had anticipated and, and hoped. So right now where it is, is the Luxembourgish authority has to submit it into the European Data Protection Board. And once that's done, it's, it's going to take about eight weeks. So we're hoping that that's going to be done in the very near future, that the it's an administrative process once that's done, right? Because at this point, everything has been approved. All of the parties in the European Data Protection Board have reviewed it, are comfortable with it. So there is an administrative process that needs to take place. And so we're looking probably around the end of the summer, maybe sometime between the end of the summer and and Halloween, hopefully, which really puts us in a position where we're now trying to identify some pilots because the scheme has been in effect, the work program has been confirmed, right? The 200 controls have been confirmed. So the process of we want to get in there and start to have some pilots and some early adopters, which to me is really start thinking about it now and you can start doing the work on it now is, is my hope. So we'll see something emanating, hopefully, hopefully the end of the summer, maybe or early autumn then. Yes. Great. And then finally, where will we see this being launched? Will it be from the EDPB or the Irish DPC? Where will it be the big splash? Well, I suppose ultimately it will be adopted by the European Data Protection Board. So for me, it will be a big splash on Twitter, but, you know, maybe not everybody is following the European Data Protection Board and they don't tend to make big splashes. The Euro Privacy website is certainly will have us on it. Uh, so the, there is a Euro Privacy website now up and running and it will be communicated through that when it's there. And certainly if anybody's following me on LinkedIn, I'll be making lots of noise about it and we will be intending on, on promoting it extensively. I think European Centre for Certification and Privacy through the Euro Privacy website are probably going to make the most of a splash about it, but ultimately it is the European Data Protection Board that will adopt it and that formal message will come out of there. Well, with that, Liam, we'll conclude our podcast and, and thanks for sharing your insights and experience. I've certainly learned a lot, actually, in, in this session. A few new terms like conformity with the scheme, European Centre for Certification and Privacy in Luxembourg. So we're going to have to look out for those. It's really brought certification to life for our listeners. So, so a big thank you to you. I'm hoping that this is going to be a significant part of our members and listeners data protection risk management and for their employers in the very near future. And, I, and I'm hoping it's going to be a real asset and really bolster their, their risk management. Thank, thank you, Liam, for, for coming to talk to me today. No, thanks a million, Cathy. And as I say, I'm delighted to take part in something which I listen to anyway, which uh, I'll continue to do so. Great. And thanks to you, our listeners, for for listening to the Compliance Files podcast brought to you by the ACOI. I do hope and I'm sure that you find this podcast interesting and, and very useful. And we would be very grateful if you would review or rate this podcast. So that's the end of the first series of the Compliance Files. It's been somewhat of an adventure for the podcast team and most of all for myself. We are overwhelmed with the response. And just like good compliance practitioners, here are some key performance indicators or stats on the Compliance Files. We've had just under 5,000 total downloads, so 4,955. We have had 4,025 listeners. We've been downloaded in 56 countries across 24 platforms. We've provided over 520 minutes of content across 15 episodes. We've discussed diverse topics, starting with the central bank's 2021 priorities, 
looked at the crucial compliance roles of MRO, DPO and Conduct Risk Manager. We've spoken to regulators, including the Data Protection Commission and the Central Bank, and we've spoken to subject matter experts and practitioners in the field. We've covered regulatory developments, enforcements and future trends. I would like to thank especially our contributors, and I hope they enjoyed the experience. But thanks to you, most of all, our listeners, for supporting this initiative of the ACOI. We will return in mid to late September with more podcasts to inform, enlighten and engage our members and listeners. And in the meantime, enjoy the summer and then look out for our second series of The Compliance Files. And until the next episode, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Compliance Files. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes.